Hello, you are at the net. Welcome to another episode of At The Net Podcast brought to you by Dexmix Productions. Twisting and tweaking the dials are our producers, D-Mag and Dave DeBrain. Join me in welcoming your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, who are about to take us through five sets talking tennis, all that applies and maybe even life as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell and AJ. Thanks to our Anthonette podcast girl for that fabulous introduction. And welcome, fans of the great game. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 13 of Anthonette Podcast with AJC and CB1. We are talking the great game of tennis as it seems to us. Plus, thanks go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Productions. That would be Darian D. Mac McBrayer and Dave the Brain DeLeo from Back of the House who are on the soundboards moving the dials and buttons to make us sound like real people. We're real people, aren't we, AJC? Well, thanks to those producers. Yeah, yeah, we're real. Lastly, be sure to check out our good work on SoundCloud, Fireside, Spotify, iTunes, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, all the important communication sites that you kids find popular. And if you're a female, sorry guys, and would like to read the opening intro for At The Net Podcast and be an At The Net Girl, let us know as we are always looking for new female voices to do the intro, even in a foreign language, we might add, right? Yes. I'm, I'm wondering who we've got tonight. Is it Barbara, Marina? Yeah, I don't know. Czech, we, German, yeah. something cool. That's, yeah. that's back of the house uh, That's production. right. We'll let those guys handle it. Yeah. So well, we're happy this evening, AJC, yeah. to be uh, talking with one of the uh, finest tennis players in the, in the, in the land. land. Yes, in the U.S. of A. That would be Noah Rubin. Noah, welcome to At The Net. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, it's a pleasure. Yep. So those who are a little little background on know, he's a former junior Wimbledon singles champion. Five years ago, five years and three months ago, he won Wimbledon juniors. Yeah, we'll be talking about that. Yeah. Uh, USTA junior champion in both singles and doubles. He won the zoo in dubs and singles both. Ah, the zoo. Hey, Tremendous. That's not a bad, that's not a bad deal. Wasn't a bad week. Wasn't a bad, actually, month. That was a couple <laughs> weeks after Wimbledon. <laughs> I imagine so. The whole month, man. Also played at uh, Wake Forest, uh, where he was an All-American, ranked number one in, in collegiate tennis. Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty uh, strong right there. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, we, we need to talk to you about this. We, wanted, we were interested. You were at the John McEnroe Tennis Academy there in, in the uh, Randall Island area. Is that correct? I was. I was. Actually, I started at the Sport Time Clubs. My father took me there when I was about seven years old, and uh, I like to say that I was there way before John got there. He came to my home. He, uh, he, you know, Sport Time has about 12 clubs. I always make up that number, and uh, John came in and took over about half of them, and, you know, half of them are called Sport Time still, half are John McEnroe Tennis Academy. So, yeah, he came to my home a little bit. I allowed him to stay, and, no, it's, uh, but, you know, I've always had great time with Sport Time, and uh, definitely had some fun hits with John. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah, in 2011, he called you at age 15 the most talented player he's come across. That's quite an honor from Mr. McEnroe. I mean, he, does, he doesn't say that very often, I'm sure. And uh, No, I'll take that. Yeah, I'll that, definitely take that. You're on the tour right now. We actually uh, uh, saw you also on CBS Sunday Morning, which is where we really kind of caught wind of you maybe a, just a couple of months ago, maybe six yeah. weeks ago, where we really came in contact with Noah Rubin. We go, we got to interview this guy. So yeah, you, that and the behind-the-racket Instagram. And, yes, yes. And, you know, you spend time courtside with Ted Koppel. You're a pretty big deal, Noah, so we're proud to have you, man. Yeah, so welcome, Noah Rubin, to At The Net. So we, we appreciate that. No, no, again, thank you. And uh, not too big of a deal at all yet. I'm just trying to make some waves and then trying to be a pioneer of sorts. But it's it's easier said than done, especially in the tennis world. Uh, you've got some interesting HSOs we call hot sports opinions down here. Mm-hmm. And uh, we wanted to ask, uh, we, we do two out of, uh, usually we do three sets. I, I was going to say two out of three sets. Yeah. But we go three sets, which are segments. You know, In our first set or segment, we wanted to talk to you a little bit about behind the racket and kind of how you came up with the idea, uh, kind of, you know what was the what was the background of of uh, behind the racket? You know that uh, you came up with the idea. Obviously, at a young age, we're, we're thinking, hey, you've got uh, you know something going on. You're thinking far ahead. And Noah, feel free to talk about Coffee Cast as well. Yes, sure. No, no, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it's basically three parts. One, I saw a decline in not only the popularity but the excitement of the world of tennis, and that kind of led to me realizing that there was a disconnect between the fans and the players, and in an individual sport like tennis, that's such a sad thing to admit, because, you know, what makes a sport is you connecting to a single person, it's not a team, so 
figuring out that that was that disconnect that all these interviews were, you know, whether it was post-match or during the tournament, they were all talking about the same stuff. Um, you know, whether it was, you know, how their forehand or backhand was that match. And, and honestly, after a while, it's just not enough. It doesn't do anything for the spectator. It doesn't allow them to really, you know, get in the mindset of who they are and, and, and why they are the way they are and why they're playing the way they are. So I think I want to go deeper into this world. I wanted to really open up the gates for people to share their own story. And that leads to, you know, a lot of the issues on tour with mental health and depression and alcohol abuse. And, you know, it's it's a scary world, uh, you know, with, with tough financial opportunities for, for players outside you know, the top 75 in the world, that leads to not allowing them to have their own team, which leads to loneliness, which leads to depression, and it's just a domino effect. And in a sport where you don't really win too often, um, it just all piles on top of each other. So, again, it was bringing in new excitement to the world of tennis while at the same time trying to open the gates of, you know, really in sports, but, you know, not only in tennis and sport, but tennis specifically, Allowing them to talk about what goes on in their heads, you know, again, why they are the way they are. So it's been an exciting adventure. I didn't know, you know, what was really going to come of it. But at the same time, people have, you know, it's been over, overwhelming amount of support. People are really excited to see where it's going to go from here. And honestly, I, I just don't see any limits. I, I think I found... You know, with with tennis having the issues it has, it, it had a lot of openings to do what I'm doing, and I think that's why Behind the Racket has grown the way it has is because nobody had anything to talk about in tennis. I mean, that was the sad truth. You know, there's only so many times you could talk about matches and, and Federer and Nadal and all of this that they wanted something else, and I, and I gave them something to talk about. So, again, it's been an incredible adventure. I feel a responsibility to allow these players to open up, and we'll see where we'll be in a few months. Did you figure this out in college, or did you figure this out after college, or like when you're at the McEnroe Academies? I mean, really, where'd you figure this thing out? Because, I mean, it's very yeah, interesting. So you're dealing with a lot of issues. This is only about six months old. Um, you know, you can talk to a lot of my close friends and family, and they knew the fire within me to not only be the best tennis player I can be, but you know, have a legacy beyond a tennis player, make a statement, making, you know, an impact and, and on further generations. And that's where I was always thinking of something. And then it literally just sparked on me during a 3 a.m. Netflix coming back from Australia and I'm extremely jet lagged and it just dawned on me. And within three days I had the name, I was trademarking, I got the URL and I had my first post post, which was about myself already on Instagram. So it happened really quick. Again, this is something I just thought about three o'clock in the morning, but here I am now. And it's, again, it's grown so incredibly fast from, I didn't even know what to expect from it, but I think people relate to it on a level I did. I couldn't even predict. Yeah, imagine. So you were so you were flying back from Melbourne, basically to to New York, and you just had this idea on the way from Melbourne over Hawaii, basically that uh, this, this would be a lot of fun, and it sh I, sh I should follow uh, follow my dream of behind the racket. Is that correct? Something like that. Well, yeah. So I flew back home. And I was actually in my bed at home, and I was trying to sleep. Couldn't sleep. Flipped on Netflix at three o'clock in the morning because you know how black can be sometimes. <laughs> and, you know, three o'clock in the morning is like three p.m. That's how it felt in my head. So I'm watching Netflix, uh, actually a social media influencer show, and also flipping through Humans of New York, which was a major inspiration for you know what I'm doing. So you know, it was really. Everything just dawned on me so quickly, and the name came to me, and within an hour, getting all of this stuff, you know, moving, and, you know, again, if you ask people around me, I'm super motivated, nothing's going to stop me once I truly believe in something, and, you know, and I think that's, you know, why we are here now, and, and that's why, you know, I have a podcast with my occasion where we talk about this stuff, that's why I'm, you know, doing superficial things as well, like a clothing line, and just trying to engage and, and cross-pollinate through all facets of life and, and, and trying to really, truly make a difference. And, you know, that, that starts at the superficial level with, with clothing and everything else and then goes deeper. And that's where I'm trying to get into mental health even, even further, getting on boards and, and being a part of something bigger. And, again, trying to, you know, hopefully have a kid one day, 10 years from now or 20 years from now, say things are better now because of Noah and Behind the Racket. And that's all I can hope for.
What's the response been on tour? I mean, I know you've talked to a lot of players. Are they, are they encouraging you? Or are they saying, eh, no, I, I haven't got the time. Call me in a couple of couple of weeks. Are they kind of brush you aside? Or are most people going, hey, that's really cool? Yeah, I think everybody believes in the idea, and they know that it's a must from tennis. Obviously, some weeks are tougher than others. Um, but I've only had two no's from all the players I've asked, and, and I have players lined up. I only have you know, two no's from people uh, of tennis players, and I think a lot of people feel that it's an extremely safe place to share their story. Um, I think what I, what differentiates myself from from others, other other media media sources, is that I'm a player. I'm one of them. They sure. understand that I have no ulterior motive. That I'm not coming out them. I'm just giving them the platform to share their story, and they get final say. So I don't post anything without their approval. And I think that's super important to understand that. This is a platform for the players. You know, yeah, in yeah. the end, it also helps people and fans and spectators and everybody else. But first and foremost, it's for the players. So, and I think people have to understand that, you know, maybe they don't agree with the story or whatever it is, but this is their story. It's their time to share. And, you know, again, it's been extremely positive, which is very tough to do on social media. Um, everybody feels like they have a voice and a say. So, um, but I, again, players feel extremely safe they become open and vulnerable and you know i've had people cry i've had people really you know get deep into you know who they are so it, it's been a tremendous opportunity for me and, and and has humbled me more than anything ever so let me ask you, let me peel back this for a second and you don't have to mention who, who they were the two people did it surprise you that those people said no to you and you don't have to say the names of the the two that turned you down but did it surprise you somewhat Honestly, it surprises me that most people don't say no. It's like, you know, we're in the... I'm trying to change something yes. that's obviously taking place, but, you know, maybe it's taking place because there's just not an opportunity. I thought it's not taking place. I thought people weren't opening up solely because they didn't want to open up. It's that they didn't have the necessary platforms to open up. So, you know, if it means that two people are still not ready to share their story or they just don't feel the need to put it out in public, that's fine. I, do I disagree with that? A hundred percent. I think yeah. it's extremely important to have players from all walks of life share their story so fans can relate so it can inspire people which it has already but you know if it's only two people so far you know it's uh it must be something right it must be something that's that's a need and, and something that wasn't you know wasn't there for the players to begin with so it's sad that we've gone this long without it but i'm happy to bring it to light now that's great. Noah, um, the other side of it, did it surprise you when you had some people get really emotional and cry with you, um, whether it's as they're writing it or talking to you, or, or um, was it surprising to see that side of somebody? It is, and uh, you know, one of the things I'm trying to break down as well is toxic masculinity, and I think that's a huge problem, especially in sports. So to have men, I mean, these are grown men breaking down and crying in front of me, you know, guys that can lift you know, 350 pounds and they're just in tears in front of me, you know, that's when I truly knew that, you know, I understand that not everybody has a story like this or wants to share a story, but I had to do my part in giving people the opportunity to share their story because... I was getting them thanking me after, saying they've never shared the story before, you know. I just felt it as now it's a responsibility, it's a need to at least give them that opportunity right. to say, you know what, maybe this can help you and then, of course, help a fan, inspire them, you know, keep them moving forward and pushing. And, and it's been incredible so far. Obviously, you know, a lot of people come up and say, well, I don't have a story that's as crazy as some. I was like, no, your story is your story. And somebody's going to relate to it, and it's going to be incredible. And I love, that's what I keep telling people. I got to tell you, I love that freedom, and I really enjoyed Sergei uh, Stachowski's story because he has been criticized in, in years past for a bit of toxic masculinity. The story he told was 100% non-toxic masculinity, and I think we need more of that in life, you know? 100%, and, and again, you know, you know, whether it's people like him or Tennis Angren, where there is controversy behind yeah. it, and of course, I do not support a lot of the things they've said, but that doesn't mean that they haven't gone through really tough moments in their life, and they have the opportunity to share it. They have the opportunity to go back on the things that they said and say, you know what, that's not who I am. This is who I am. Or, you know what, this is 
this is why I am the way I am, and I'm, you know, trying to move past it. I'm just, again, giving the player the chance to say, you know, this is the reason I do the things I do. And, you know, for 99.9% of it, people really appreciate it. And, you know, I get my favorite thing is when people say, I played high school tennis, and, you know, I never really followed it after that, but now I'm reading the story about blah, blah, blah. And I'm back into tennis. I'm a new fan. And that's what I, that's another thing. I just get those new fans into the world. I think that's a must. So let me ask you a question from, from a higher perspective. ATP, WTA, ITF, are they a fan of yours or not? So, you're, you're, yeah, you're, you're, so you're bringing up something raw. You're peeling back the layers of the, the onion quite a bit. And so are they uh, afraid of you? Are they embracing you? Say, yeah, go ahead, Noah. Or, eh, Noah, come over here for a second. Let's talk to you. You know, I think they've done a much better job than I expected, and, you know, I'm going to push the ITF aside a little bit. I haven't really worked with them as much, but ATP very closely, and WTA has been supportive as well, and, and, and more than I've thought. So, again, I'm bringing out real issues that stem from the sport, you know, and a lot of these issues are because of, you know, a lot of the things that they put in place. So I understand how that could be an issue. But at the same time, I think they understand that this goes deeper. This is... You know, the people playing the sport, this is who they are. And after their tennis career, this is going to majorly affect them as people. And, and I think that they saw that this was, you know, for something bigger, for something better than just the individual person or even tennis. This was trying to really cut down to the nuts and bolts of the tennis players as people and trying to help them, trying to help them through this process of life, but escalated to a, a tenfold because of the tour. And, you know, again, they've been supportive. I think not at the speed I want it to be at. Mm. At, at times, you know, I don't know if they understand the urgency, but, you know, they're, they're kind people. They're, they're pushing it in the right direction. I feel sometimes that I have to take it on myself and, and you know, just push the process along a little quicker, and, and I do that. I'm a New Yorker. I have that personality. I'm sometimes going to get in your face, but if I believe in something, <laughs> really? if New I Yorkers? know, yeah, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's a, an acquired taste, but we get things done, and if we're passionate about something, there's, there's no stopping us. So I believe in this. I'm going to make it happen with without the help of ATP and WTA. Obviously, it'd be great to have them all on my side. I think it will end up being like that. Um, but I just I need to put a few things in place to make it uh, a safer place for tennis players. Do, do, do you feel kind of uh, some... Well, you're on the media side now. Obviously, social media, it doesn't matter whether it's ESPN right. or whether it's a podcast and a player side. So you're kind of wearing both hats. Is that... Ever have you ever thought about that from that standpoint? Like, hey, I'm wearing two hats here. I got to put my journalistic hat on, or I've, I've got to put my player's hat on. And obviously, you've got skill set to do both. So, does it does it ever conflict with what you're doing? You think? Yeah, you know, I, I get this a lot. People are like, well, you know, your tennis career must be over. And honestly, it, it's it's helped my tennis career majorly. Um, yes, my ranking is not where I want it to be. Not a, not even close. But at the same time, it's giving me the outlet one it's almost helping me um channel my feelings and thoughts because i'm hearing stories firsthand from people and it's really resonating with me but it's just giving me something to put all my energy towards off the court um i actually did a uh behind the racket with fabrice and toro who spoke about how important it was to get outside the bubble of tennis right. and i know that this is still a part of the tennis world but this is so far off hitting a forehand for me that it really does help it helps you know show that there's so much more out there than a win or a loss so i can go out there and just play and you know it, it really helps me get through it and you know even for you know the best athletes in the world you can train six hours a day there's a lot of time throughout the rest of the day and if you want to do you know if you want to play video games want to watch netflix that's fine but I choose to use my time more wisely, and I still have time for Netflix, and I still watch, you know, HBO. So it's, mm -hmm. it's still, there's enough time in the day to really get something done and make a difference, and that's how I'm choosing to use my time right now. And obviously it's, you know, at a place where I never thought it would be, and, and sometimes I need a nap, and, <laughs> and I take those naps. But, again, I know that there's a bigger purpose more than just myself, and, you know, there's a little, 
there's a whole world that knows me as behind the racket and not Noah Rubin, so that's something I'm going to have to deal with. Well, you, can get, you can get a cup of coffee or a five-hour energy and keep going, too, because I take those every now and then <laughs> to avoid the nap. Yes. You know, uh, I, I think of, you mentioned Fabrice Santoro. I um, have uh, been acquainted with Yannick Noah, and there's a generation, you know, your age, of people in Europe who know him as a pop star and not as a as a tennis champion. Oh, Yannick, yeah. yeah. I was so, so I, I think Noah, <laughs> I think Noah's going to be that way one day too. Yeah, yeah. right. Like there's a yeah. Oh, yeah, the tennis ball. Yeah, you know, we actually ended at 75 in the world, but, yeah, behind the racket was much bigger than anything he did. So, that, you know what, hey. Hey, if that's what happens, if that's, if that's where it takes me, okay, that's fine. Um, again, I'm going to push it both both areas uh, to the max and see where we end up, but, again, I'm excited for what's to come. Well done, no, and, and you're humble saying 75 because I've seen you play. Uh, remarkable serve, remarkable, absolute world-class movement and fitness. And uh, when you're healthy again, you're in there, baby. We're rooting for you. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Well, where's behind? Where's behind the racket going? I mean, what, where where you want to take it? Where, what else you, is out there for? Obviously, you're on the the very fringe of what's taking place. I'm sure you've thought about where you want this to be in six months, a year, or do you just kind of go with with the flow? Yeah, I am definitely not one to go with the flow. If anything, I, I, I try to make my so. own I didn't flow. Think you'd say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I, no, nothing against what you said. I, you know, no, I've, I've you always didn't. been one. I create my own wave. I, I, I will never follow the lead of anything. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on a docu series right now. I'm working on trying to get on the board of uh, mental illness groups. I'm, I'm working on, you know, having an on-court line of clothing. You know, all this stuff is in the process right now, and. You know, again, I love having a thousand things out there. I love trying to make all the connections possible, trying to really, truly grow a brand from scratch and see how far I can take it. Mm. Um, my interests lie in so many different areas, whether it's art and photography, fashion, whether it's, you know, journalism and broadcasting. So I'm going to do everything I can in all aspects and combining that with encore coverage and hopefully progressing on the court as well I think combining all of this something great can come out of it and you know again I've never expected it to be to where it is today so I don't have any expectations for six months from now but at the same time I'm pushing forward each and every day emails calls you know podcasts Skype everything get the word out build the brand um, and really make something special how'd How'd, how'd it come about with uh, CBS Sunday Morning and Ted Koppel? How'd that, I, that, I'm sure that's an interesting story. Did, did, did you know somebody, or did somebody go, hey, I'm catching this kid you know, on uh, Behind the Racket. You know, yeah. that might be an interesting story. What's, what's the story on that? Yeah, I think, you know, I actually got an email around the Houston ATP just from them. Found my email through Behind the Racket. Um, yeah, I think they were looking... Apparently, Ted went to Portugal and hit with a pro that was an ex-top 300 player of some sort, and he was so curious as to why um, this hitting partner in Portugal was a low-end hitting partner when he was 300 in the world. Like, why didn't he have enough money to own the club and all this stuff? And that's when Ted, you know, started to figure out the issues headlining the sport of tennis, you know, not only just for people, but as, as financially and how much money they actually get, you know, if you're 300 in the world or, or lose, I should say. So, you know, he became super interested. And, uh, yeah, I got the email saying, we love what you do. Um, you know, we'd really appreciate it if we can get on a call. And, it, you know, it was about three months, a few different times of filming. And, you know, yeah, it's funny that all comes out to about eight minutes of a segment. But mm-hmm. I think they did extremely well. Well, you know, it gave me a lot of coverage, and honestly, to be a part of CBS Sunday Morning and to be interviewed by Ted Koppel, it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and for him to say homies in front of me, it was perfect, (laughs) so to have that, you know, in my resume forever, I will take that gladly. Oh, that's a good highlight. Yeah. I mean, I was watching, I just was, I watched CBS Sunday morning religiously, and I was sitting there going, oh, wait a minute, I didn't know who you were, and I was like, that kid's got something, he's got some chops there, man, that's, that's, that was awesome. I mean, you did a great job with, with the interview, and, and, uh, it was just really fascinating. I was like, whoa, wait a minute. I go, you're a deep thinker. That's why, at Wake Forest, did you, what kind of degree did you get at Wake? Did you get a marketing? Did you get a philosophy, psychology, what, what was your degree? I actually only went for a year, so was didn't declare major at all, but 
again, throughout my times, yes, I do play video games every once in a while, and I'll you know, watch Netflix, but there is a lot of other things that go on in my head, and you can ask my girlfriend. She knows there are times she's like, are you here right now, Noah? Are you in this room right now? And it's, you know, it gets overwhelming, but my my brain goes a million miles per hour. I'm always thinking about how to make something better, how to improve something, where is that area lacking in, and, and just, you know, really trying to be observant, and, and through that, you know, networking and meeting people, because, you know, at the same time of being in New Yorker and a cynic, I, I love people, I love hearing their story, I love, you know, having a mutually beneficial relationship and, you know, it stemmed to behind the racket, but there are always things in, in, in the process and, again, it's exhausting, there are sometimes I'm walking and I just close my eyes because I need to go to sleep, but it's been a, a fun ride and, uh, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a million more adventures to come. So, so behind, the, behind the racket, before we move to the second set, because we, we want to do some other questions with you, you've got behind the racket, you've got some great swag. We've seen shirts and uh, hats out there. So th those who are listening, you know, uh, hit Noah up on uh, Instagram or where where can you go find your uh, – uh, There's a link to the Yeah, so on everything right now. Okay. So I finally launched my website a couple of days ago, which has okay. the stories, has all the podcasts, and yep. has the merchandise. So okay. it's a, a one-stop shop. Okay. Um, yeah, so I have crew necks, tees, and hats, and they're all half gone now um, in a few days. Well, so, you, you know, <laughs> Yeah, so definitely get them soon, and, and again, it's the perfect place because the podcast and the stories are in the same place, so just simply BehindTheRacket.com, um, but yeah, no, a lot of work has been put on that website, so it's, I'm happy to have it up. Wonderful. Yeah. It, those who, I know we're coming up into a couple of seasons, Hanukkah or Christmas, those might be nice gifts for somebody yeah, who might be listening, so man. might be thinking ahead, you know, I'm just yeah. just thinking out loud here, just spitballing with a couple of guys like here, it. but let's just... <laughs> Can we, can we ask you a couple more questions, you know, on some different topics now that we've got kind of behind yeah, the racket? let's move to second, second set. set. We're going to get partially on the court, and then we'll get into uh, some of your thoughts on pro tennis, the tours, team tennis, that kind of stuff. But let's start with, man, what was it like playing Nick Kyrgios? I was at that match. My follow-up will be Benoit Pair, another crazy guy. And after you beat Pair, you got a match with Federer. So Kyrgios, yeah, that was an interesting one. You know, I've known him since juniors, obviously, you know the reputation. But uh, he was acing me with six different serves, impersonating people and still acing me. It was pretty incredible. So, yeah, I gave up a few opportunities in the first set, uh, but it was a tough match. You know, I had three tough matches before to get to him. I think that was his first match, and, yeah, it was uh, it was fun, always fun playing in Atlanta on that stadium court. But, yeah, uh, but yeah he definitely took it to me and was some, ripping some balls past me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was a good I played doubles against him a couple times, ones in juniors as well, and but that was the first time on the singles court. And yeah, I would have to say after playing Isner a couple times too, Kyrgios has you know the second best, if not the first best serve in the world right now. I mean, it is second to none. He has some real pop on that. So do, do you have to kind of really pay attention that you don't really watch him and his antics? You have to pay attention to watch the ball more. Yeah, you know it's super frustrating because you know while he's you know, a part of these antics that that's his best tennis. So you're watching these antics. He's starting to play better, starting to rip more, feeling freer on the court. And it's just a snowball effect. So you start, you know, getting more and more upset that he's acing you with Maria Sharapova's serve. <laughs> and, you know, now you're down a break. And it's like, okay, that happened really quick. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, the people that have done well against him just are tunnel vision, serve, don't look at him, whatever he does, don't say a word, yeah. follow his lead, don't anger him, all that stuff. So, um, but yeah, that was a fun experience. I mean, Benoit Pair is definitely different. He has his antics as well. Um, we had a little, um, what's the word? We uh, came together as friends on Twitter recently when I praised him for having such an incredible year, yeah. but also made a, a, a joke, a testament to what he said um, after I beat him, which he said I was one of the worst tennis players he ever saw, <laughs> and it was a catastrophe that he lost. And he it, said, it I was young back right. then, and I'm sorry, Noah, but uh, yeah, all the best. And it was just funny. Um, you know, I don't really hold grudges at all, so it, it was just a funny moment, but you know, for him, it's different antics. It's it's not really as 
out it, there as much as Kyrgios, but it was still interesting. But throw, throw your collar up and do a behind the racket shot, and then you kind of you kind of fly the flag at. Yeah, it. you got to make fun of Benoit. <laughs> I know you got a good beard, but another yeah. couple months on the beard and starts the collar, right? And you could you and, can and behind the racket. Back there you go. I think that you could kind of get back. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> but, uh, and then Fed. Oh yeah, tell us Come about on. playing the one of the finest players ever. I call him the king because he's just he's he, you're my second favorite. So uh, the king. <laughs> I the appreciate king, the king that. Yeah, no, he's uh, he's one of the only players that up until that point I never practiced with, played an exhibition with at all. The top guys, I you know whether it was just hitting with, warming up with, practice uh, or exhibition, I've played with them except for Federer, so being on the court with him, like seeing him across the net especially on Rod Laver Arena was you know, obviously surreal and you know, to anger him a little bit in the third set after I said come on when I broke him to go up 3-0, <laughs> you know, things like that, I'll remember, I mean, he stared me down for a minute and a half throughout the whole television changeover, so it's those things I'll remember forever and you know, I had three tough tough qualifying matches playing um, Carvalho Spania, uh, Stebi from Germany, and Donskoy, and then I won my first five-set match against Bjorn Fertangelo, and then played Federer. So it was a really, really amazing week, and once I got on the court with him, I understood there was no pressure. Go out and enjoy and have fun and, and remember the moment. So, uh, yeah, and, that's and, definitely something I'll take with you, me. And you almost snagged a set off Federer. It's not bad. Three set points. Three, yeah. two or three set points. Right. So that was tough. Yeah, not, not bad. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on team tennis? You, we, we know that you enjoy the team aspect. We've, we've read some things that uh, you like WTT, you play college tennis. Kind of tell us your thoughts on team tennis and what, what needs to be done maybe on the tour, maybe add some something different maybe. Yeah, and, and I know you, you're not going to be afraid to talk about Labor Cup, Davis Cup, ATP Cup, any of those, or, you know, a, a possible circuit of, uh, of your own. One day. Yeah, yeah no, uh, it's a must. It's a must for this for this sport to build. It is an absolute must. I mean, you know, the average ages of tennis fans right now is above sixty years old. Yeah. We are not getting the eight-year-olds to watch tennis like they used to. We are not getting them excited. We are not getting them to sit down for a three out of five set match as much as we want them to and how much we think three out of five is amazing and a testament to physicality it's just not happening and with world team tennis it might be a little quick for what i'm looking for but it is amazing and for what it is right now it's perfect you get jerseys you have a team you're treated like gold on these teams you have fans getting drunk and eating food and there's djs and everybody's going nuts and that's what tennis should be and with the shorter formats again it might be too short but with the short formats, every point is played to the max. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to give up a point because the games are cumulative and every game counts. So there's no points that are given up. And I think that says something because I think there's a lot of tanking, which people think it's match fixing. It's not. It's just that's just strategy in tennis. If you are, you know, let's say down 5-1 in the set, you may throw away that game for 6-1 and go on to the next set. But in World Team Tennis, every point plays to the mat, mm -hmm. uh, max. Fans are involved. DJs and it's just an atmosphere you want to be a part of. That's just, that's all it is. And I think, you know, I had that in college, and it was great to see. And we need more of that. And we need a Labor Cup, and we need all these things. I, I do, you know, Labor Cup is amazing for tennis, and so is ATP Cup, and they're going to be great for many years. I do, of course, have a problem with the whole idea of the rich get richer, and we do have to think about that aspect. But at the same time, I can't fully fight against something that is bringing excitement to the sport of tennis. So it is a must. We need to get a team atmosphere, not only for the well-being and financial state of tennis players, but also to get you know that revenue to make tennis fan-friendly and promotable like it has never been before. So you have these things, even like a tie-break tens, that is bringing this excitement to the world of tennis, and you're not losing the beauty of a tennis point. You still have that beauty. So I think traditionalists have to, you know, stop fighting against three out of five and all this stuff and really fundamentally change the sport and say, wait, maybe we need some, some true, honest change that people will be scared of at first, but it's needed. What about... Uh Davis Cup. Does Davis Cup have a place in uh, I know We haven't talked. You said Labor Cup, ATP Cup. Yeah, what about have, Davis Cup? And, and, and Changing old, the format. Old style yeah. and current style uh, Davis Cup. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think... 
I think Davis Cup will always have a place. I, I want to see how the ATP Cup performs, you know, because that that is a country um, versus country, which I think in sport, no matter what it is, there is a patriotism that comes with, you know, fighting for your country kind of thing. So there will always be, there should always be a need for a country versus country competition. Um, I'm curious to see how Davis Cup progresses the next few years with competing against an ATP Cup and a Labor Cup. But again, there will always be a need for a country versus country competition. But I'm looking to truly break down tennis as a whole. I mean, you know, people have, you know, laughed in my face and said, oh, you should make your own league. And I kind of made a little mock one on my computer where, you know, there's less travel involved and it's a team competition right. in, in more of a college format. So you have four divisions, let's say North America, South America, Regional, right. uh, Asia and Australia and Europe. And you have these four divisions you play amongst yourselves and you know there's probably there's three guys and three girls on the team and then you know two sets of doubles players and they get to compete and earn either individual points to play in the Masters so there's only Masters 1000s and Grand Slams left for individual tournaments and I, that's an unpopular belief but in my belief nobody remembers who wins 500s that's just how it is. Fans watch thousands. Fans watch Grand Slams. And it's dropping at that rate anyway, but those are, the, those are the tournaments people follow. So I think it's a necessity to get, you know, to keep those tournaments the way they are, but to have team competitions throughout the year where it's less travel, where you're a part of that team, where they're paying for expenses, where you have a salary, but at the same time you have an individual ranking that will still lead to, you know, mass and slams and year-end mm -hmm. tournament, but mm -hmm. I think there's a need for true fundamental change if we want to see some true revenue boosts to really get that excitement so people can wear jerseys, so fans are screaming, so we have that excitement. And, you know, we have all these problems, whether tennis is played at, you know, 11 a.m., during the weekday when people yeah. are working, and you know, so there. we have to have yeah. these events where it's Friday night and Saturday and, and it's just two, three day events and, you know, just and shorten the seasons. God, we're, yeah. we're destroying our bodies. So I think a lot of, you know, the thought that is put into place are just, you know, trying to get rid of the things that hold tennis back, which is, you know, not allowing fans to cheer, not allowing them to be a part of it, and allowing players to have some serious time off so when they are playing tennis, they're fully invested, they're fully healthy, and they're ready to go. Hey, um, I know John Mack is, uh, is the self-appointed commissioner of tennis, but since you're the guy who discovered him, um, Commissioner Rubin, tell us what, what are some changes you would make besides the team concept. If you had the magic tennis wand, if you had the wand and you could say, okay, here's one, two, three, what do you, what do you got? I mean, if we're not going to go, you know, we'll start small and not, and not do the whole team competition thing because that's a, a tremendous undertaking. We take two months off the schedule. And, again, and I know this is brutal. Everybody wants their spot, and I understand that, you know, the Asian market is tremendous especially, and to take that away would be, you know, a tough, tough place for tennis. But I think there is real estate for everybody. I think there's a place for everybody. And we just need a break. We need a a serious two months off from, you know, October, November, fully off, and then allow us in December to have a training block. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're finishing basically Thanksgiving, December 1st almost, and we train three weeks, and we're back into another, you know, season, and it's brutal, mentally draining, and physically, it's taking a toll. I mean, I'm 23, and I wake up, and I feel 90 sometimes, so mm -hmm. it's these things that we really have to look into, again, I think shorter seasons is number one, and then two is shorter matches. I think it's uh, tennis is too long. It's not great for TV, which is number one revenue building uh, stream. Uh, and I think we have to understand that there's there's real change that needs to play, take place. Good, good talk and a great second set. And uh, the good news is we get to go three. Right. We got one yeah. more set. Can we keep? We know we've had you. We've had you for about forty-five minutes. We don't want to take too much of your time, but we do have some fun. This is more of a, a third set match tiebreaker, uh, ten-pointer, yes. like like men's do it. right now. Go <laughs> quick. Yeah. We we call this fast hands. It's kind of a reflex volley questions. There's no need to dig too deeply, which which I feel like you did a fantastic job uh, digging into. 
into uh, into the second set. So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, superstitions. I I was pretty superstitious as a young guy, and then I just became only a little bit stitious. Uh, <laughs> little little Michael Scott office reference there for you. Noah, tell us about your superstitions. You got anything funny? You can ask the guys that roomed with me a few years ago. So right now, I've gone to a point where I'm not at all. Because there's so many matches throughout a year, it actually made me... I was exhausted thinking about the superstitions that I had to take part in. <laughs> that's how That's how much it was. That's how draining it was. I mean, I had things with gripping rackets before matches and, and throwing them out weirdly in the garbage and, and walking on certain areas. I'm like, what am I doing to myself? <laughs> so... The short answer is none anymore, but if you really need to dig deep and, and find these out, talk to a few players yeah. that I've, I've roomed with, whether it's Stefan Kozlov or all these guys when I was younger, yeah. you'll find some true dirt. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that's funny, and uh, I'm happy you've cleaned it up. That's, that's excellent because this gives you more energy for the other stuff. So, so you don't uh, shave your beard? Like you know, if you're still winning, you don't touch your beard? You just let it go? Or, you know, like in hockey, you know, hockey guys when they're in playoffs, playoffs yeah. they don't The playoff play. beard, yeah, yeah of course. All the time, you know, you're not going to have one of those Duck Dynasty beards, or you know, maybe uh, or, or not even not even a Benoit Pair beard, or Benoit Pair beard, right? Yeah, yeah Benoit Pair is a, a little long for me, but yeah, I mean, during a tournament, if if I lose because I shave my beard. That I deserve to lose. Uh-huh. Then there's something, something bigger than me, bigger than all of us. It's like Noah. It, it's not your time to win this tournament, and that's fine. I have to, you know, be at peace with that. <laughs> You're not OCD like uh, Nadal. Do you have to turn your water bottles a certain way and drink, drink in a certain particular manner, or not step on the lines? You know that kind of stuff. Do you do, you do any of that kind of quirkiness? Uh, no, I'm OCD in almost every aspect of my life at this point besides tennis. I, I've tried to up, huh? just play. I mean, there's definitely times where, you know, my brain takes me places, but right. no, nothing consistent, which is, is a nice place to be right now. Good for you. Well, um, another one here. Um, uh, I know you're a big NHL fan. Um, Rangers or Islanders? Islanders forever. Oh, Islanders oh, since I grew up. Dad taking me to games. I only needed to see the area code on your phone number when we, when we talked earlier. And I, just, I absolutely to know that I'm not going to MSG unless they're playing each other. That's, yeah, unless they're, yeah. So do you, have, do you have a sweater? Do you have an Islander sweater? Oh, I have more than enough. I have jerseys going back from when I was a child that can only fit my pinky right now. Um, right, right. You know, Michael Pekka back in the day and, and Rick DiPietro. And, right. But no, now it's, you know, you know, then it was Tavares before he left. And then just, you know, supporting them has always been has been great fun, having them on the NASA Coliseum for, you know, a very long time, yeah. 15 yeah. minutes away from my house, super easy to get to. Is, that was uh, that always really, really lucky. Was that Uniondale or Merrick or one of those towns? Yeah, yeah, it's right around that area. Yeah. Now, the Coliseum, so you've been to the Coliseum? I know that was a rickety old bucket of uh, just barely being held together, wasn't it, at one time? Yeah, so they have the New York Open there now, and they redid it because they, you know, oh, it was oh, it was okay. time for to, for a new venue. So, they, yeah, they redid it. it was, it's gorgeous now, and, yeah, they, they had the New York Open there for the second year now. Yeah, with that black court like Labor Cup. That's yes. Good looking yes, court. no, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Do you like playing on different colored courts like that, that, that is, uh, I'm an all-black kind of guy. Uh, yeah, you can yeah. see from my merchandise. You can see from sure. you know my encore line. Everything I try to wear all black a lot. That's a New York thing. Even even if it's 130 degrees outside. So yeah, that, that core is really cool to play on. But some of your shirts are black on black. They look awesome. Yeah. yeah thank you so much. Yeah. Again, you know, try to be, try to stick to my roots. Love you know, the whole wearing leather in the summer is a very New York thing, so uh, we try to keep that going. <laughs> so if you were walking out on, on the court, what's your walkout music? You know, are you a music fan? You know, we, we have our own suspicions for us. Uh, do you, you know, if they were, like what you call making it fun, making it more engaging, who do you, who do you walk out to? Who, who's the, uh, who's on the uh, on the speakers when you Oh, God, out? it changes all the time. I am a huge music fan from Simon and Garfunkel to J. Cole and Eminem today. So it really differs tremendously. But, uh, yeah, I mean, anything from house music, you know, just getting me pumped up to uh, Billy Idol uh, is always uh, a fan favorite. Yeah, I mean, you know, Rebel Yell, a good Rebel Yell can always excite anybody. But, um, you know, again, being a New Yorker and having the energy that I have, sometimes I like listening to really relaxing, chill music. Um, 
because <laughs> to actually calm me down because I know that no matter what, I'm going to get out there and be antsy and ready to go and running a thousand miles per hour. So sometimes it's okay to, to be calm once I get out there. So, Good stuff. So do you go to concerts? Are you a concert guy speaking of music? Do you go to Simon and Garfunkel? Or, uh, yeah. I, I have not, but at the same time, you know, I don't know if I should admit this because my friends have made fun of me. The only concerts I've been to, I've been to a few more modern ones recently, but I started out going to, I went to Peter Frampton, I went to Chicago, so, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, as a 23-year-old now, yeah, when I, I was actually, I, am. <laughs> <laughs> I was 18 at the time for some of these, and uh, yeah, definitely the youngest in the crowd, so, but that's been me, I grew up, my parents, you know, I was listening to Les Mis when I was six years old, and this is just the stuff that I grew up with, so, you know, I was cultured to the best of my ability, and it's helped me today, but as a six-year-old, you can tell, you can honestly know that I was furious back then, but I think them now. Favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Uh, Newsroom from, I think it's on, no, it's not HBO, it's uh, Showtime. That was my favorite show of all time. Excellent. It's interesting. Uh, I thought you were going to go Seinfeld or Curb. Right. We thought we... Okay, so Curb has to be... That's not even a TV show. It's a, it's a way of life for me. <laughs> so I can't... <laughs> so I can't even, you know, attribute that to anything. That is, I literally walk through life sometimes, and I'm like, this is exactly what Larry David did, and yeah. I'm thinking about saying it and doing it, and I have to stop myself. And, and it's absolutely insane, but... You know, his shows, it's so extremely clever, and he just says everything that, you know, what's going on in people's minds, but he actually says it, and oh, it's, it's, I, we need another six seasons of it, so. It's so earnest and, uh, and, and cringy and difficult, and obviously you don't want his theme music as, as your walkout music <laughs> no. for a match, but. No. <laughs> Another question for yes. you. Just a couple more here, real quick. Who, who, who are the four people you invite to dinner and why? Who are your four people? Uh, four guests. Come on. You got to have somebody. Oh, uh, no. I, I have to be honest. I hate these questions. Oh, really? that, that question God. kills me because there's so many people and they're like dead or alive. And I'm like, I don't know. There could be a billion people. I mean, yeah. you know, you have guys like in the tennis world, like even Arthur Ashe or, or someone like that. And. Yeah, you know, just, oh God, there's, there's way too many. I'm sorry. That's putting okay. me on a spot where I can't even answer. It's okay. Um, it's okay. We've got a good table. I know Craig said four, but uh, yeah. when I was asked this, I said, you know, I've got a table for ten, so here's my ten. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, hey, you sound like a guy that would have 50 people, maybe. Yeah, maybe. 50,000. What about uh, East Coast, West Coast? You're an East Coast guy, West Coast guy. Oh, no, East Coast forever. Yeah. Mountains, beach. You got the mountains or you got the beach? Probably mountains. Okay. Yeah, I don't like sand. But yeah. I, I enjoy it, but I don't like it, if that makes sense. There's something I, I like being at the beach, but then I find sand in my shoes 15 yeah. days later. I don't need that. Yeah. All right, uh, season. Favorite season, summer, fall, winter, spring? Fall. Fall? By far. Yes. Sweater, sweater and jeans all day long. Okay. What do you like to do in your spare time? What you, you Ooh, uh, yeah, I think photography has always been a dream of mine, um, and also, I, yeah, I mean, whether it's going to art galleries and, and or shooting on my camera, those are those are probably some of my favorite things to do. Interesting. Who, who started you playing tennis? My father did. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a family sport, uh, but he was the player. Yeah, and I, I started from an extremely young age, which uh, I just saw some home videos that my mom shot. And, yeah, I didn't know <laughs> quite how coordinated I was at a year and a half years old. But it was, uh, even I have to say, it was kind of impressive. Your dad, your dad Eric, has uh, a Prince God racket with the uh, 7 by 7 string pad. That, that's correct. There's not that many people in the world who own one of those. I'm impressed. Now. No, it was a gift. And, uh, uh, it was one of the few things he kept, but yes, it was. Uh, we found it in the storage unit, and we had to hang it. And I was, you know, it's incredible, and you know, it was a, a commercial that was taken off the air because it showed uh, God basically killing a man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's not very PC, yeah. um, especially nowadays. But I find the commercial extremely funny, and I think they should air it again. But I, yes, I, he has the God racket, and it's uh, it was a great one. Our, our co, my co-host Craig Bell, worked for Prince during those days. Short period of time, yes. Yeah, yeah. I used to get uh, uh, railroaded when I used to call on accounts. There, there. Some people thought it was funny. Some people didn't yeah. find it find it that funny. 
I, I have more humorous. I hope God has a sense of humor. So. I believe. I, I believe. Right. I believe he does. Yeah, yeah I think he has to. So first racket. I think he, yeah. What, what was your first racket? Ooh, my first racket was, oh, God. Well, my father was my vocal, so when I, you know, was starting to actually play when I was more seven, eight years old, it was it was vocal. I actually don't even know the name. And then I've been with Head for, like, 13 years now. Yeah. Well, you use the Prestige, right? Yeah, yeah, I use the Prestige right now. Uh, you know, I'm always switching rackets, just finding out, you know, what's better for me, what's yeah. better for my body. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's been great so far. Anything custom or, like, uh, Yeah, a lot of, lot of custom weighting and different dimensions. So nobody ever knows the exact racket you're playing with. Um, and sadly for the average customer, very tricky to get your hands on if nearly impossible. But, uh, yeah, we have that luxury. Will, will Commissioner Rubin try to change that a little bit going forward? Uh, there's a lot more issues he has to change before that but uh, yeah I'll definitely it will definitely be on the list yeah it's a fun one because you know there's some tennis dorks out there like us who who uh, you know I, I make my own rackets but uh, customize them all but it would be nice to have shelf versions like okay that's what Djokovic is or that's what Chilich is using or, or uh, Noah Rubin for that matter so uh, most embarrassing moment in tennis I always like this question because I think it's kind of funny. We all, we all have our embarrassing moments. Uh, AJ and I have talked Tough about one. this, and so we've asked the guests also, too. What's your most embarrassing moment? Yeah. Most embarrassing moment? Yeah, it's funny. The easier questions are always the ones I have the most difficulty with, but um, I don't even know if you would call this embarrassing, but when I did play Isner last year and I broke my shoe in half, I think that was oh, the infamous yeah, shoe break yeah. that everybody refers back to, and, yeah. you know, it looked like a crocodile, and this, you know, elderly woman was holding up the shoe after when I threw it out of the crowd, so that's got to be uh, one of the top ones for me. Walking around the center court of D.C. not knowing if I had another pair of shoes nearby. Yeah. That was in D.C. That's and, right. That's and, you know, amazing. you should just wear it proudly. You are so fast, you're breaking shoes, man. Yeah, tremendous. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. What's your favorite tournament? What's, what's your favorite tournament? Uh, it's between Australian Open and Indian Wells right now. Interesting. Why? How come? Yeah. Uh, Australian Open treats their players like absolute gold, and you feel incredible once you're there. It's a, one of the few atmospheres where you know it's for the players. And Indian Wells is just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, you have the backdrop of the mountains with the sunset. Um, and also they have this open grass field where, you know, the players can just run around. They have goals sometimes. You play soccer. Yeah. It is truly just incredible, and, and it's a lot of fun. Those are those are the things I look for, just little ads, you know, additives just to make it enjoyable for everybody. Yeah, Noah, your quickness and agility, you clearly grew up playing some soccer, huh? Oh, yeah, that was a, a tough decision, but luckily – uh, a lot of, a lot of, maybe not Americans, but a lot of the rest of the players have played um, soccer their whole lives. I mean, I know Nadal was basically recruited by Barcelona. Um, a lot of these other players, whether it's South Americans, uh, Europeans, they're insanely good at soccer. Um, they would hate that I called it soccer, but they're really good at it. Um, yeah, football. But yeah, so we get to play as often as we can, and when they see goals, you, you never see a more smiling faces than when there's soccer goals and a ball around. Oh, I love it, yeah. So, uh, who, who would you pay to watch? If you were Noah Rubin, you want you had to pay because obviously you get in probably most matches free. Who would you pay to watch? It could be, you know, from a long time ago. It could be today. Who would you pay to watch? Former current. Oh God! Again. <sighs> Going back, I would love to watch like a Rod Laver match. All these guys that really changed the sport for what it is today. Even a Billie Jean King would love. I mean, today, um, one of the matches I saw on TV, actually, I don't watch much tennis, um, was uh, Team Nadal, Dominic Team against Rafa, and they played the Open. And besides the first set that I think was 6-0, after that was some of the most insane tennis I have ever seen in my entire life. And I'd probably pay to watch that live. I would. Who, who would you like to play against? If you, if you, ever, if you ever, you've played against everybody, basically, uh, almost, but who would you really, like, somebody in the past even, would you like to play against a Laver? Would you like to play Stan Smith, let's say, or Art Ash, you know, something like that? You know, I think I'm going to go modern, stick modern, and say Nadal. I have to feel what it feels like to play against him. You know, the unrelentless just... 
point after point, I want to feel that. I want to feel what it's like to be on the other side of the court. I want to see how I can compete against him at my top level against his best. And, you know, I think a lot of people laugh at that, but that's that's who I want to be on the court with. What sport would you not would you play if not not for tennis? Would it be soccer? Would it be something else? You you would have to. It would be soccer. Okay. It would be soccer. I mean, I actually um, I, I played basically all sports and, and definitely some aspects of other sports that I really like a lot. But soccer was the one that I thrived in besides tennis, and I truly miss just running on grass. Mm-hmm. So, no, not, not hockey. As big a hockey fan as you yeah. are, you know, I thought you did you skate? You, you know, were you, mm-hmm. So I, I can skate okay, not very well. But the reason why I love hockey so much is because I understand how extremely physical and quick and just demanding that sport is and why I respect it so much is it's one of the sports that I don't believe I can play right now mm-hmm. and and that's why I respect it as much as I do if that makes sense what, what about uh, if you had kids do you want your kids to play tennis this is kind of a, on down the future 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 no, so. yeah I would love I would love them to uh, definitely pick up a racket I would you know, want them to know what they're getting into I'd probably put them into baseball or soccer, but yeah, no, I would definitely love for them just to pick up a racket and be a part of it. Um, I don't know if I would <laughs> force them to play after knowing what I went through, but uh, I think if they have a better understanding and know what it's all about, tennis is still a beautiful sport and, and they can thoroughly enjoy it, but I would love to have a soccer player and, and to be a part of that. Yeah. So I know some, you know, like Agassi, his kids, he's, uh, Andre has a kid that plays baseball really well, yeah. and he didn't, I don't think he really even wants him to, to, to play tennis. It would be kind of tough. If, obviously, if you're married to Steffi Graf, you've got two of the greatest uh, athletes ever to have played the yeah, sport. A, I mean, lot, what, of, a what, lot of DNA in the, in the bats there. Yeah, so that's what I was wondering about you also, too, from a, from a, a perspective, kid perspective, recreationally or competitive. So mostly you'd want them to play, but not maybe necessarily competitive, or would you want them to play competitively? Uh- Again, whatever he or she wants to do, that is totally up to them. I'm just going to show them everything possible, and they can choose from there. That's the thing. Then uh, last question. Let me ask ask you this last question. When you train, are there any fitness things that that you can throw out there for for the folks, our listeners, maybe, that you might be, uh, you run a lot, you you hit the the gym, you you just play tennis? Kind of what do you do? What's kind of an average day to kind of get? uh, Yeah, I've done everything, but the best fitness possible is on the court. I mean, one, it obviously translates the best because you're doing what you're actually doing. And two, that's where my... You know, I'm not gonna say my speed necessarily, but that's where it really developed. I just loved running around the tennis court, chasing a ball. Um, we weren't always playing points; we were just rallying, and then it would, you know, lead into a point. But I would play every out ball. We would just keep playing and keep hitting and just run and run and run. And that's, you know, how I became the person I am today. And you know, that's. I, I think that translates the best, and you know, even you hear from Nadal, you hear from guys like that to say, "Yeah, I don't lift as much. I do rehab and other things like that, but my workouts are on the court." I love your answer about uh, about playing out balls. I, I, as a coach, I am passionate about. Hey, there's no lines in this one. Let's roll. Let's play. Let's run, and recover too. So uh, when you see the finger up, you're like, "Hmm, little entitlement there. Let's keep playing," you know. Yeah, no, I think especially in practice, a lot of people can't put it in perspective of what practice truly is. Um, but, yeah, no, it's, it's super important just to just hit tennis balls. You're going to get better if you just hit tennis balls. So, uh, very, very last question. So where, where's Noah Rubin the rest of the year, and what's 2020 look like for you? Yeah, so sadly I actually have a, an x-ray coming up, hopefully nothing too crazy. Um, but if all goes well, knock on wood, uh, you'll be seeing me whether it's next week or the week after. And I have about three or four tournaments to finish up the year and then hopefully can finish on a high note, uh, happy, and maybe, you know, around top 150, even closer to 100. Who knows what can happen, but just put a, a good effort in and then also obviously keep pushing behind the racket to where I think it could be. Well, I'm proud we've gotten to talk about tennis on court, off court. We've gotten to talk about him, uh, Noah's business ventures, several of them. And uh, yes. it's been quite, been a, really quite a fascinating hour. We, yeah. we, we, we know that, that your time's limited and it's 10 o'clock your time. And yep. we do, certainly want to respect, respect your time. And, and uh, you've got other things to do, but it's been a lot of fun. But uh, we've appreciated your time you know, here at, at, the, at the Net Podcast. You know, yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Noah, big thanks. No, thank you so much for having me, guys. Big yeah. thanks. Stay in touch and uh, look forward to a t-shirt or two. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to... 
I'm going to get online here yeah. in a minute and order something before they get sold <laughs> out. So those who are, uh, <laughs> I get, appreciate that. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll push that out on our social media as yeah. well for you. That uh, you know, we want to uh, help you out. You seem like a nice young man, and so hopefully our cross, our paths will cross sometime in the future. That uh, we can actually shake your hand and say hello to you, you know, personally. Uh, it's nice to meet over the phone, but at the same time, it'd be nice to meet in person too. Definitely. Oh, I'm sure it will. Tennis is a small enough world. It will definitely happen. Yeah, so, Excellent. Well, thanks for your time, Noah. You know, continued uh, best of luck, hopefully, for your, your x-ray and your tennis career. And, and I'm sure we'll see you sometime soon. All the best, Noah. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you. Thank Appreciate you. it. Excellent. All right, gang, fans of the great game. Thanks for listening to Season 1, Episode 13 of At The Net Podcast with Noah Rubin. Be sure to tell a friend or friends as we like your peeps, and hopefully they'll like us. And that's the tennis news as it seems to us. Good evening from Dallas, Texas.